All right, folks, welcome to the Eric Anders Lang Show. Today, we have a very special guest. It's Lucas Michelle, none other than the, uh, the, the, the man who, from, from Australia who played Augusta. Very excited to talk to him about what it's like to play in the Masters. Stuart and Lucas are going to join us here in a minute. Um, I've got some podcast ad reads that I need to get out of the way. Uh, let's see what do we got here. You know what? I put them away. Didn't I do that? Uh, yeah, I'll copy. Here you go. Theragun, folks, feel free to ad lib as I always do. The stress of daily life weighs on us all. Whether you're an elite athlete or just a regular person trying to get through the day, ain't it hard, yo? Muscle pain and muscle tension is a real thing. Here's the thing. I've been using Theragun for a while. I do love it. Theragun.com slash Eric. Theragun.com slash Eric, E-R-I-K. Yo, get your Gen 4 and... Um, um, shit, I don't have a discount for you. I'm sorry about that. That's why I use Theragun. Handheld percussive therapy device releases your deepest fears. I mean muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth speed. Oh, I dropped the mic. Anyway, the Gen 4 Theragun proprietary brushes. So it's so quiet. You'll wonder if it's even on. It'll confuse you. Um, yeah, so uh, check those y'alls out. Anyone here? No, we don't have any. Uh, no one else here but me. Blah, blah. LinkedIn Talent Solutions, folks. Thanksgiving edition. All right. So anyway, LinkedIn's an active community of professionals with more than 706 million members worldwide. That's a lot of people. That's a, that's a tremendously large amount of people. Uh, getting started is easier than ever. Yo, you want a job? Go to LinkedIn. Um, check out the LinkedIn Jobs platform. And what do you think? I've actually used LinkedIn to hire people. And I think it worked out. I mean, either way, it's super legit and easy to use. Manage job posts from a single view. All right, folks, here's the main deal. You want to get $50 off as a business, ready to make that next hire? Find the right person on LinkedIn Jobs. Go to linkedin.com slash Eric to get $50 off. You're going to go to linkedin.com slash Eric, $50 off. Terms and conditions apply, which means you got to be awesome. Uh, as always, regular series podcast partners, we've got uh, Jones Golf Bags up there in Portland, Oregon. We've got TaylorMade Golf Clubs. Obviously, if you like Tiger, you like TaylorMade. Uh, we've got Vice Golf Balls. I don't have any here with me right now, but... Uh, and then we also have uh, ba -da -ba -ba -ba, Precision Pro, the range finder to find where you want to go, where you want to go. <clears throat> where you want to go, where do you want to go, go, go. Um, and then we also have, uh, you know, whoop straps, y'all. Get your whoop strap. I think the code's E-A-L. Um, man, we got a bunch of fun stuff coming up here. I don't know when this ad's going to air. It'll really air right away. Lucas, how have you been, man? Have you been up to much since we saw you last? Have you done anything wild or interesting? <laughs> Nothing too interesting. When was that? December? <laughs> it was December. Year. Yeah, it was like yeah. President's Cup time. We we played a quick round yeah. of golf, and then and then what what happened? You yeah. were in Australia, and then what? So I went from obviously that week. I went and played Augusta the following week for practice rounds. So yeah, I, I pretty much had the best sort of lead up to Christmas ever. Um, went and played Augusta, played it, I think I played it like four four or five times in the trip. Uh, I was there for three days. And then Christmas and then sort of summer and played a bunch of tournaments. Um, and then 
COVID. <laughs> so, so, so yeah. wait, you, you, you flew up in December to get a practice round for the masters for everybody that doesn't know, mm -hmm. check out our YouTube video. You know, you talked a little bit about winning the mid am and essentially, yeah. you know, that means you're going to play Augusta, which did you re you didn't quite realize yeah. that immediately. Your caddy realized that before you. Uh, I, I knew, but it was never really, I never really thought it was realistic. Like I was excited. I was going to turn pro like the week after the mid am obviously assuming I hadn't, oh, I wouldn't win. Um, that was the plan. And then, so when I won, I was like, oh my God, this completely changes everything for me. And it, it really was life changing. Like I went from, you know, wondering what I was going to do with golf to having starts in two of the biggest events in the world, two majors. So yeah, it was a completely life-changing moment. Um, and then, yeah, so when, when I saw you, I was about to go to Augusta to play some practice uh, visits and sort of scout the course because I felt like if I could see the course early, then I could work on my game between then and, and then in April. Um, but I ended up having a lot more months to work on my game and <laughs> try and fine-tune it for Augusta. So you basically left to go to the States in December and, and you just are getting home. Yeah. Yep. So I, well, so I left in December and then I returned home to Australia, played the summer of golf in Australia. Um, and then I actually went back over to the States in March prepping for, um, prepping for Augusta. And I got there like March 11 and that was the day they canceled or postponed the NBA. And then th the following day was the day they canceled the players championship through, through one round. And then the following day I was on a plane to Augusta and I got an email from, the, the chairman uh, saying that the tournament was going to be postponed. So I was legitimately flying to Augusta when I got that, that email. So I knew at that point that I would be only probably spending a, a few more days in America and I had to hop on a plane home and get home to safety pretty much. So it was a whirlwind of um, sort of week of thinking I'm going to be playing the masters in three weeks time to knowing that I'm going home to a, a lockdown and a quarantine and everything like that. But did you actually fly? I thought you stayed. Didn't you stay in the U.S. for a while? So this more recent trip, yes. Um, I, I ended up going home to Oz in in lockdown for eight or nine weeks. I think it was. Basically, I didn't. I didn't hit. I didn't play golf for eight or nine weeks. So I, I was hitting into a little net in my backyard. Um, had a track man, which was like probably the most. Um, expensive thing in my house um, so I was hitting <laughs> hitting balls into a net practicing um, working on my game but I wasn't able to play golf for eight or nine weeks that's 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 not good yeah that would be good for like me yeah. Stuart, that, you would be good for that Stu like you I feel like you play well when you haven't played after a while I do too I do too one question I've got is like what was the kind of emotions like going from yeah like Augusta, all that, and then obviously the uncertainty. Everyone was dealing with uncertainty at that time, but mm. you had mm. the greatest year, mm. every golfer's dream year planned out. And then next minute, you're in yeah. your backyard in Melbourne hitting golf balls into your net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I knew, I knew eventually everything was going to be great. Like I knew eventually I was going to play the Masters and play the US Open. I knew it was going to come at some point. I just had to be patient. So, I definitely wasn't too down or, you know, depressed or anything like that. I was, I was still excited for everything that was to come, but I also, yeah, obviously I was a little bit um, sort of 
not sure about the future as well. But um, yeah, I think I dealt with it pretty well. It was when it became difficult was when they reannounced the schedule and then I had to figure out how I was going to get to the US because um, flights out of Australia were really restricted. And then I and then I realized I would I ended up going for the US Amateur and then US Open and Masters. And that was a four month stretch, but I needed to get a visa because I was there for more than 90 days. And so that was another stressful thing, trying to get a visa at the last minute because um, all the consulates are closed. Um, you had to get like an emergency appointment and it was just a massive nightmare, but I ended up getting it all and, and I eventually did get over the US. And what did you um, like when you yeah, were going to get the appointment, were you like, I'm playing in the masters and they're like, what are you talking about? You're like, this, this is the <laughs> only thing that matters to most people that play golf. Did, did they get it? I think I, I, what ended up happening, I, I knew someone who worked in the government in, in Australia and they kind of directly contacted the consulate for me. Um, if I went through the normal channels, it would have been really hard for me to actually get on a plane and go. Um, but thankfully I knew someone in the right position. So I was really lucky um, knowing that, but um, yeah, it was, I think, I think it was obviously a fair thing for me to be able to travel. Um, obviously the masters and the U S open are two pretty big tournaments. And, and yeah, so when, once I kind of put my uh, applications through, they got approved pretty quickly and that was a massive relief for me. I can see that visa interview happening right now when the guy says, so what's your purpose for visit in the US? And I'm going to play in the Masters. And the guy goes, this guy's clinically insane. Denied. <laughs> That's the best funny. was when I actually arrived back in Oz. Um, I was, I came down through the doors downstairs at the hotel quarantine and they were assigning me a room. And there was two Aussie police officers doing it. And um, they knew I was in the US and they asked, oh, did you see any of the Masters last week? And I had to tell the guy that I played it. And he, um, yeah, he was, he was loving that. So we had a good chat after that. But, uh, he, he probably couldn't like, believe it. No, no. I think, I think he kind of like was a little bit struck at first. And then I, yeah, we, we had a good chat though. They, they love their golf and they're really nice guys. Everyone's been so nice here, um, you know, with checking in and stuff like that. Cause it's, it's a tricky situation, you know, that I'm sure there's a lot of upset people that they're having to deal with, but um, everyone who's sort of doing this process, they're really, really good at it, really happy. And, you know, it's been really smooth, but it's obviously not an ideal position to be in for me. <laughs> Sitting I, wonder in a hotel if you almost, two weeks. I wonder if you almost need um, some alone time for two weeks to really sit, collect your thoughts and actually appreciate the four months that you've just experienced, I suppose. Um, Cause mm -hmm. it's when you experience something like that, I don't, I don't know how it would quite sink in what has just happened. So you can sit there in your room and yeah, I think you're do, right. do you ever sit in your room and just have a little wry smile to yourself when a little memory comes up? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've actually sort of been, I've been making sure I write everything down that happens. So it really does sink in um, because yeah, everything that happened in the last four months, it'd be easy to forget, um, you know, the little funny details of it all. So I've been sort of reflecting on it, writing a little bit and, um, yeah, it's sort of journaling. It's been, yeah, it's been a really cool ride. When you, when you say everything that's happened, I want to spend some time on that. We'll get into the experience of, you know, what was it like, mm -hmm. you know, 
walking into Augusta with like a glove and a lanyard that says, I'm here to not only play golf, most, most people that are, you know, we know, talk to just are lucky enough to play as a guest. You know, you obviously highest level of competition, one Mm -hmm. of the coolest amateur places that you can have, but we'll get into that. But when you say all of the things that happened, do you have a stat really briefly to give everybody just a flash? Like how many top 100 courses have you played in the last, 150 days like it's up i was watching you and i was just like dang he just keeps knocking yeah. down like what, what, <laughs> what how do you top it each day yeah yeah so i i've been on the golf magazine top 100 panel for like 12 months now and whenever i'd travel i'd, I'd always try and seek out great golf courses because obviously i've got a keen interest in golf course architecture and um yeah just something i've always loved to do playing play great golf courses particularly obviously coming from the melbourne sandbelt where i live now it's like um not almost anything pales in comparison to some of the golf we have down here so whenever i go abroad i try and sort of try and match that but um yeah so i ended up playing i I really need to do a tally but i'm not really a massive sort of list guy in terms of like checking checking off lists but I mean, I probably, I mean, I played the five courses at Bandon, so there's five, <laughs> um, but I also went to Boston. Um, I was in San Francisco for a few days. I played like San, San Francisco Golf Club. and um, Yeah, I mean, it would have to be around 20 of the top US top 100, I would guess. Um, yeah, I did a Boston trip, a Philly trip, um, and then it was kind of like Pinehurst and... Uh, Charlotte and Winston-Salem and sort of there was like a bunch of different spots that, that what was the worst, with, um, <laughs> <laughs> the worst course Augusta what was the worst course and what was your worst round that. the worst actually the worst round I played was at Pine Valley um, I <laughs> did not play very well at all so that was straight after the the US Open um i think my i was mentally fragile from the us open and then pine um pine valley is probably one of the most penal golf courses you could imagine like if you miss the fairway you're just like hacking out of weeds and trees and it's no good so um yeah i was mentally fragile from the us open from getting my butt kicked there and then i rolled into pine valley and i think i shot about 80 which was pretty poor but you know it was still pine valley and pine valley is an awesome golf course so i still enjoyed it that's what I was going to ask there. Did it at all dampen your experience of Pine Valley? I mean, I think everyone's going to be a little bit dampened if they play poorly at a golf course. They're never going to probably see it for, for all it's worth. But um, I try and yeah, disconnect from how I play to how I enjoy the, the day. And I, I still had a great time. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Mm. you, you mm. it's it's, yeah. it's it's very hard to separate the experience from the score and yeah if it was easy i think when you're on a panel it's pretty important to like if you're a panelist for those golf courses you really have to try to do that like you're saying like really dissociate the experience in the golf course yeah it's like especially for a panelist i mean how do you give it a fair shake i mean you've got so many factors mm. whether the sleep you got mm-hmm. You know, whether or not mm-hmm. the like pizza is like making you have gas, whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's so many, like, I mean, for me, yeah. you know, but like there's so many things yeah. that like, <laughs> right. I played up in Boston at Essex County club, which is like a really nice golf course. Kind of like no one really knows about it. It's off the beaten track, but a really good Donald Ross golf course. 
and it rained the whole day. It, I think we got like two inches of rain while I was playing and everything was soaked. Everything was like, I, you know, it was horrible. I played like poorly and still I was like, this is, this is like one of the best golf courses I've ever played. So sometimes like, sometimes the weather can add to it and make it even more memorable in a way. Like I will never forget the day I played at Essex County Club just because of how ridiculous the weather was. But, but I definitely didn't feel like, I, I think I was able to sort of separate the weather from the golf course. And I really enjoyed the golf course for what it was. I thought it was awesome. I understand that completely. When I, my dad and I mm. played Lost Farm down in Tasmania one time, I played it a bunch of times. And my favourite time ever was when there was 50 kilometre hour winds. The ball was going sideways. <laughs> you can, you know, and it was yeah. one of those memorable days. Um, yeah. Where, awesome. where had you based yourself in the US? So were you flying from a, you were in one spot and you were flying to these places for a week at a time or how were you navigating that? Yeah, I was, I was lucky. Like I obviously know a lot of people in the U S but for the most part, I was staying in Michigan because I was doing like a internship with Mike DeVries, the golf course architect. So he designed Cape Wickham and Kingsley club up in Michigan and he's done a bunch of really good courses. So he was working on a golf course in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Um, and so, yeah, when I was there, um, I was there, I was in the States for, what was it? Uh, 12, 14 weeks, something like that for about seven or eight of them. I was in Bloomfield Hills. So um, just really kind of getting some on the ground experience of what golf course architecture and construction really entails. And um, I found it really interesting. And, and on top of that, I had a golf course that I could pr play and practice at. Um, Bloomfield Hills is really good and they were kind of staging the works so there was always holes that were open that I could hit balls or practice on so it was a really good spot to to base myself the, the majority of the trip. You seen anything different up there like kind of I mean I guess in a sense the landscape of it, Bloomfield Hills it wh wh where is that near is that kind of in the uh, where is Detroit that? sort of Detroit yeah probably 20 minutes from Detroit yeah um, the land's awesome there in Bloomfield Hills and you've obviously got Oakland Hills, which is like literally just around the corner. Um, but then I went up on the weekends with Mike and we went up and played like Crystal Downs and Kingsley club, which are up in Northern Michigan. And those places are like, honestly, so sweet. It's Northern Michigan is probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. Like sleeping bear sand dunes. We went there. There's a 450 foot high sand dune that just, comes straight off Lake Michigan and it's one of the most incredible things you'll ever see. Honestly, Northern Michigan is stunning. Does it remind you at all of your sand belt maybe, but adding some hills? <laughs> um, definitely like the lands like similar. Uh, it's probably, yeah, just a bit more dramatic and beautiful. Like the sand belt, I wouldn't call the sand belt golf courses like pretty or like super pretty because of the landscape or anything like that. Like, they're beautiful inside the fences, but um, I mean, Crystal Downs, you've got views of Crystal Lake and Lake Michigan and um, Kingsley Clubs, this sort of really open rolling terrain in like the middle of a forest. So like, yeah, there's, they're very different, I'd say, but you know, they've both kind of got their own beauties about them, I suppose. What, what was Mike's opinion of, is it the fourth hole at Crystal Downs or the fifth, the one with the huge mound and you just, you can't even figure out what to do, kind of like a, Dog leg left, short par four. Uh, is, oh, yeah, that one. Somewhere. Yeah, I, I mean, Mike Mike is a member at Crystal Downs. So 
And he, Mike's got a really long history with Crystal Downs. His family's been going up there to that area for, you know, hundred years, three generations or whatever it is, four generations. So um, his family's got a house up there and um, he's been a member there for maybe 20 years. And he actually worked at the golf course in the bag room from the age of 14 till 17. And then he worked on the grounds crew from 17 through college. So um, he, if there's anyone that's going to tour me around Crystal Downs, it would probably be Mike DeVries because there's no one better to, that knows the place. So um, yeah, he, he just adores the place and so much of his work um, and his architecture, I think is inspired by what's on the ground at Crystal Downs. I mean, Kingsley Club and Crystal Downs definitely have a lot in common just in the green complexes and the way that the golf courses just feel and how they're routed. And yeah, it's, it's, I mean, he just adores the place. And yeah, you're right. The fifth hole with that kind of ridge line running through it. Um, that's sort of one of the best short par fours going around. So. Yeah, it's crazy. It's one of these whole stewards. It's like if someone made this hole today, you'd be like, get out of here. Like it's, it, 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 it's <laughs> like they took like a building, turned it on its side and poured grass all over it. And you're just staring at this big mound with no indication of anything of where to go, where to hit your tee shot, where the next shot goes. And it's like, mm. it's absurd. The ultimate puzzle. Yeah. Ultimate yeah. puzzle. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, when uh, I first played that's it, uh, sorry, sorry. New Orleans. Go on. I was going to say it's a McKenzie design, isn't it? Yeah, McKenzie, uh, McKenzie and yeah. Maxwell. Right. Yeah. So Perry Maxwell was the American guy on the ground, I think, doing a lot of the work as well. So Perry did um, Prairie, Prairie Dunes as well in Old Town Club. I got down to Old Town Club in North Carolina when I was there, and that place is sweet too. So, And I think Perry Maxwell did a bit of the work at um, Augusta too. I might be wrong. I probably should know that, but I think he did some of the later work at Augusta after Mackenzie left. I don't know. Again. I don't know. <laughs> Stu, should we go? Getting, to, I, you must have a thousand questions. I feel like you have more questions about Augusta than I do. I am like, I'm just waiting to pop. I'm like, just go. Just bring us, bring us on Augusta, please. Just, just, just go, <laughs> just, just walk us through. By the way, Eric, Lucas, I, I, Stuart and I went to Augusta together and here's the irony is we only had one ticket. And so I went in oh, and I gave, I gave him the ticket and he went in and we both just hooked up later and we were both like, yeah, we both cried. And then we did, we couldn't, we experienced it together, <laughs> but not actually together. Yeah, someone that's mm. kind of said, yeah. it was almost like someone said to me, are you all right, mate? I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm just You're like, you it's just found a, a guy with curly hair and you were like, yeah. can you just hang out next to me for a second? <laughs> we always actually say it because uh, we got in on the Friday, but we don't have a picture together in Augusta. I remember that. Um, what, mm. was the, what was the your experience of like the first time you can uh, the first time you go yeah. up to Augusta. Um, I'll know. I'll never forget my first experience. But when you're there to play it, it's yeah. funny because it's a completely different yeah. environment to when the Masters is on. Yeah. So I went, like I said before, I went in December um, in 2019, and it was really unique because as a player, you can play there unaccompanied, um, and so you're not with a member, and you can basically play by yourself with, with you know, a caddy and just you and the caddy. So um, my first experience of Augusta, I remember, you know, you go down Magnolia Lane and then it, and then you kind of get to the end of that road and it opens up and that's really when it like first sort of hits you. I mean, the gates and stuff are cool and the drive's really awesome. 
but when when it opens up and you see like the flowers the pin and the grass and the and the clubhouse that's when it really becomes real um and then i remember i went off um just after the after there was some members there and i went off just asked after them with the assistant pro who was a really good guy and we just played um and i i wasn't worrying about score at all i was just like i'm going to enjoy augusta for augusta national i'm not thinking about score i'm just playing golf enjoying the experience but um i do remember birding the first hole so that was that was a bit of a highlight um but yeah it was it was just an awesome um yeah awesome first experience at the golf course but it was probably the second day that i was there that was maybe like the most sort of spiritual because i went out there i was the first group out it was foggy like when i teed off and then i was walking down the second fairway and the sun had just lifted above the horizon it was shining through the trees the like the dew and the the fog was lifting off the grass and i was just walking down the fairway just by myself with the caddy like you know 50 yards ahead of me and i remember just looking down there i'm like oh my god i've never seen anything like this i took a photo of the the scene um i had my camera on me and then that's been my phone background my computer background it's been the background of everything since so that was probably that that walk down the second hole that second time i played it was probably the the real cool moment i've, I've had at augusta can can we see that photo? Can can you show us your phone screen? Yeah, I Do you could. Have it? Yeah, I could. Yeah, I got it right here. Let's see this. Let me just. There. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, incredible. That's number two. Yeah. You go. That's black, number two. This. Walking down the fairway. That's my caddy. Did you? Oh, that, yeah. Did you just take that on your the, phone? There's the entrance to the green now. No, I, I had wow. a camera with me. I. I had a, yeah, it's, it's just like a old DSLR camera, but um, yeah, That's awesome. yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It looks, two, so that was, doesn't look real. Two and eight are some really incredible holes, aren't they, Lucas? Yeah. Yeah. Two and eight, they go sort of side by side. Um, two par fives, obviously they play very different because one's uphill, one's downhill. But um, I mean, that golf course is packed full of great golf holes. It's crazy. Um, everyone everyone thinks of Augusta and they think of how perfectly conditioned it is and, and all that. And to be fair, like the Masters, it wasn't in perfect shape, but it's still an incredible golf course. Eric and I kind of spoke about this uh, during last week. We caught up and I had had watching the Masters, obviously, and I'd had this realisation that he, obviously he had played there and I'd, I'd thought about it. It was all cool and everything, but watching the Masters again, and I think Eric posted a picture on his phone from like the 13th hole or whatever. And I just kind of had a moment of thought that it must be so weird being in a place that you know so well, but you've, but the actual playing mm. of it is completely different. So when you're standing on those fairways and you're hitting those shots, is it, what's that what's that feeling like mm. like the first time like you say walking down number two everyone knows number two you're at the top yeah. of the hill and you're just walking down towards that beautiful green stuff. yeah and when you're actually putting yourself in a position to play the shots that you've watched your entire life mm -hmm. that not many people get to experience what what's that like it can be overwhelming i remember the night before um i so sunday night in the crow's nest i stayed uh yeah, one one night before the tournament, the crow's nest. They were restricting 
only one person per night in the crow's nest, which is a little bit disappointing because I would have stayed there a bit more. But um, so Sunday night before the tournament, I was there and they were playing, they had a on the TV, they had, you could watch any of the um, official films of the Masters from, you know, 1958 or whatever year they started doing them. And so I started watching them. And then because I was watching them and I was getting so engaged with them, I could feel myself starting to think too much about the week ahead. Like, you know, I could see myself hitting the shot on 18 or hitting this shot on there and this shot there. And I started actually getting like really nervous about the week ahead. And so I actually had to turn it off because I was like, I'm going to overthink this and just kind of get completely in awe of the fact that I'm here. And, and I had to try and remember that I've actually here to play golf tournament and play good golf and obviously still enjoy the experience, but I'd probably enjoy it more if I wasn't worrying too much about how I was going to score. So, and that sort of happened as well. That happened before, obviously during April, um, a lot of the television, I mean, I know in Australia, Fox sports in Australia, which is our um, sports sort of uh, cable channel channel. We, we, we did like masters week. And so they played official films of the masters like the whole week. And I was, I started watching, I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I just found myself so enthralled by the masters. And so, and I started building it up so much in my mind about how big of a tournament and, and thing it is to be playing the masters that I actually had to stop watching and just be like, no, just push that out of your mind and just focus on playing golf. And, and so that, that was kind of something I had to be cautious of getting too wrapped up in the fact that I was playing the masters where, you know, all these incredible golfers and history had taken place and just sort of realized that, you know, I, I still want to play great. And, and if I want to do that, I've probably got to, you know, try and get that out of my mind a little bit. That would be the hardest thing, right? I mean, it's like you've, you've grown up wanting to go to Disneyland mm-hmm. your entire life. And then you finally get to go to <laughs> Disneyland and they hand you like a work uniform and go, okay, go to work. And then you're like walking past yeah. all the rides. You're walking past yeah. all the rides going, I it really is a little bit like those that. rides, but at the end of the day, I'm here yeah. to work, realistically. That was the good thing about the early visits that I did. I could do that. The, the, the visit in December and when I was there in March, I really could enjoy it for what it was. But then when it came to that night in the crow's nest and I started watching the tapes, I was like, you've enjoyed Augusta. Let's actually try and take this, you know, a little more seriously. So I kind of did both, but I still at the same time tried my best to have a really fun week of the tournament. And, and I'm, I'm, I've got the fondest memories of it, even though I probably didn't play as well as I'd hoped. What, um, as far as, you you played in what is going to be like one of the like more most unusual masters ever right like it's it's never we don't know yeah. i guess but but it's uh it's so bizarre for so many reasons i was thinking about the lack of fans the lack of patrons must have created some opportunities for you to to really i would imagine have like a it was probably maybe more dreamlike. You you probably had more time to like connect with your, uh, you know, playing partners. Was was there a takeaway that yeah. you saw that I just couldn't see? Because from my perspective, watching it on TV, and you know, m- maybe people aren't gonna like me saying this, but it it, it was missing something, and that yeah. was an interesting learning experience for me because what it was missing was is it was missing like like in a way the the golf patrons, the golf fans, the golf world. We, we almost 
having us at Augusta for the Masters seemed to be the completion of the story. It's like, I need to see people there because that's the pilgrimage. That's how much it means. I don't care at the players. I don't care if it was at the players. Mm. Like I just want to see him go in the water on mm. 17 or make a hole in one, but at, at the, at Augusta, yeah. it meant so much more. So, so was there any experience for you where you were, where you saw something that there's no one would have ever seen? Yeah. I mean, overall, I'd say the players in general were, were way more, um, way less stressed and more open. So like, you know, if you wanted to chat to them, they were, you know, way more accepting of conversation than probably normal. Like just without crowds and without having to, you know, wade through crowds and autographs and all that. I think in general, they were, they were really enjoying it, the pros. Um, and so when I, when I played with guys, like, so I played practice rounds with um, Xander Schauffele and um, Max Homer and Patrick Cantlay. And that was really cool. I played in a four, foursome with them and they were so nice. I mean, Max Homer is the funniest, nicest guy ever. Xander's awesome. Patrick's so cool. So like, it was like, it was the most fun sort of grouping I could have had. And the um, Xander and Patrick uh, pulled out after nine. And so it was just myself and Max Homer. And it's Max's first Masters as well. It was actually his first time there playing the golf course. So to share that experience with someone else that was going through the same emotions and same sort of things that I was, was really really cool um yeah so that i really enjoyed that aspect of it um obviously without the patrons it definitely didn't feel um it didn't the stage didn't feel as big so i probably wasn't as nervous as i would be you know real masters or you know real kind of authentic experienced masters but um but it still was it was cool in its own ways i mean the access that I had on, on Saturday, I had to finish up my second round. Um, so just checkbox, I, I did make the weekend at Augusta. So <laughs> I played three holes on Saturday. Um, but um, I had to finish up three holes and then I was like, what am I going to do for the rest of the day? So I went out with my caddy and coach and we just went and watched. And that was awesome. That was like, imagine the Masters, but you're the only spectators. And they actually still had the like all the food and beverage going as well and it was all free so i just i just walk in and grab like sandwiches and they didn't have alcohol but you know sprite and whatever you wanted um and so i was just like lapping it up on saturday um and literally had a front row seat watching the best players in the world that was that was pretty cool i kind of battled in my head with um like obviously every single one of us especially the guys that know you since we met you in December. We've just been living this year vicariously through you, right? If you're a golf yeah. fan, Lucas yeah. Michel has had the best year ever. And um, <laughs> I was battling through my head, how does Lucas look at this? Is it, this is weird because I'm playing in a Masters with no fans, in a US Open with no fans, or does he look at it and this is incredible because it's unique it's one masters that everyone's going to remember for all time and you can say i played in that masters yeah i don't i don't know how i how i'm how i feel about it yet i think not knowing what a true sort of authentic masters experience and u.s open experience would have been like it's hard to say but there's definitely elements of this one that make it very very unique to be part of and certainly um one that I mean most people won't forget 
2020. Uh, or no one's going to forget 2020, but most people probably won't forget the 2020 Masters and 2020 US Opens as well, just because that was so different to all the ones that came before them. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know how I feel about it. I know that I really would have enjoyed the the original scheduling because um, I was going to have 20 members from my home club, Metropole in, in Melbourne, that were going to be there watching me. I was going to have six or seven mates because um, you get tickets as a, as a player. I was going to give them to them and we were just going to have an awesome week together. They were going to be my little cheer squad. And then the US Open was going to be really cool because it's in New York and a bunch of my young, younger, younger friends from Australia were like, let's just do a trip to New York and have fun and we'll go watch Lucas play the US Open. So none of that ended up happening, which was going to still, it was going to really add to the experience of the two majors. So um, that didn't happen. And obviously um, you know, that would have been great. But at the same time, you know, the opportunity to work for sort of six, seven weeks with Mike DeVries and learn a lot more about golf course architecture and construction and then have a really unique uh, experience at the Masters and US Open that very few people are going to ever have. Um, yeah, there's pros and cons of both. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't really say. I guess time will tell. Hopefully I get to play another authentic Masters and US Open and then I might have a better way to compare them. That's a good question, Stu. I like that question. What, um, Lucas, I'm curious to know, like, I feel like it's an obvious, like, if you had to choose between, you know, Wingfoot, US Open, and Augusta for the Masters. So I'm not really interested in asking you that question, but I'm curious to know, like, was there any, like, great takeaway in, in, in the difference, right? Because everyone, like, holds the Masters in its own category. And, and a big part of that obviously is mm-hmm. it's at the same course every year, you know, at the core, mm-hmm. the course itself, each hole is like a celebrity. They've got names. No one really knows Wingfoot, right? Mm-hmm. Like unless you played it. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. but as far as just, just the way they go down, the way the players react to it, the way it's, the way it's not, I'm not talking about like trash on like the way it's run or like, Oh, the USGA did this or that just like it, it was there actually a difference it between the two aside from, you know, all those things. I think, I think they're probably, yeah, there probably is. I think in general, when you get to Augusta, everyone is like in awe of the place. Like everyone is so happy to be there. Um, all the players are like, it really is Disney, Disneyland for players. Um, so I think there's definitely that element. I mean, Augusta growing up watching golf on TV, you know, it's every April you get to see the course. Like you said, you're so familiar with all the golf shots and holes and like you said, the names of each hole and everything like that. So I think the familiar out, familiarity with, with the golf course um, and just the fact that, yeah, you know, it, it is such an iconic piece of every young up-and-coming golfer's um, history in golf, sort of watching the Masters. I think um, there's definitely that greater sense of awe when you go and play Augusta and then compare that to a US Open at somewhere like Wingfoot which obviously has a reputation of its own in that it's one of the hardest golf courses um, and and the rough obviously this year was very very difficult so there's probably there's there's a higher stress level amongst the players they're all kind of spending more time around the greens trying to figure out the shots hitting more shots on in the rough to try and figure out what the rough's doing they're just kind of 
probably trying to, to figure out the golf course a bit more than they were at Augusta. Whereas I think at Augusta, everyone feels like they know the course pretty well, even if they haven't, haven't really played it. It's kind of just a different sort of thing. So yeah, I think, I think the preparation side of things was very different at Wingfoot. Just everyone was grinding it out, trying to really learn the golf course quickly. Um, and that kind of made it a little feel a little bit different amongst the players. Do you think um, a few players going to the US Open with a sense of fear of the golf course because the media build it up so much every year? So it's always like, this is going to be yeah. the toughest, like obviously the depth of the rough and all that sort of stuff. Like, mm. Is there a sense of that? People are like, oh, here we go. It's going to be a slog yeah, this week. So. Yeah, I think it's, that's, that's, that's kind of how everyone likes to make out the US Open. And, I mean, Wingfoot's a great golf course and it, it's a really fun golf course, but obviously the US Open with the rough like it is, they definitely set it up in a way that makes it a little scarier than it normally is. But it's it's an interesting one because the the golf courses that I get most scared on is are ones where you can lose a golf ball, where you can hit one offline and lose it. And that wasn't really the case at Wingfoot. Um, I mean, you could probably, you could lose a golf ball easier at Augusta than you could at Wingfoot, which is interesting. Um, I mean, we saw Bryson <laughs> plug one in the rough, <laughs> but um but yeah, there's some areas where you could definitely lose a ball at Augusta. But um, yeah, I think I think they're just yeah they're, they're different. Um, yeah, there's certainly a little bit more tension and anxiety at a US Open, and some of that is because of how it's built up and its reputation. How did you prepare for that leading up to that? Because there's not many courses that you'll find short of like Tory Pines, one I can think of off the top of my mm. head that you can mm. go off the fairway, drop a ball, and try and hit out of that dense rough. Um, short of obviously yeah. having your practice rounds during the week, how did you find a way to prepare for that? It was quite funny because I spent the leading the weeks in the lead up in in Michigan, where I at Bloomfield Hills Country Club, and it was funny because. Because the golf course was being renovated, there was areas on the golf course where they weren't cutting the rough. And so <laughs> I would just take a cart out to those areas and just drop some balls in there and just start whacking it. Because it was all bluegrass, the same grass as Wingfoot. So it was actually perfect. So, I mean, it didn't end up really helping me that much. But I did feel like I was a little bit more comfortable in the rough because of that. So um, that was quite funny. <laughs> as far as technique of hitting it out of the rough, what did you come up with? Mm. I mean, like, what is the technique? I don't even understand. You put it, where, yeah. what do you do? You open up the club face? The Especially being the sand. The chipping technique. No, it's so different to what we get in Melbourne. The chipping technique I found that worked really well was, I mean, I chatted to Curtis Luck about it and he, his technique, he's a really good short game player. His technique was just to sort of like throw the club at, at the ball and just sort of let it stick and stop under the ball and pop out. But I tried that and I just, I just couldn't hit it like that. So I almost did the opposite. I, I put the ball back in the stance. I kind of opened it up a little bit and made sure I was hitting down on it enough. And then I kind of felt like I was just dragging my body through it, like my torso through the shot um, so that I could just get through the thickness of the rough. And that actually worked pretty well. I chipped okay. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't so, have a lot I of experience you, out of that. I saw you hold a couple of those chips. Oh yeah, that's true. Actually, I did, I did hold those two chips on. It was at seven and 12. So that was pretty nice. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason. And we have a couple of podcasts. If you, you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy. And we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people 
in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So what was the... Oh, sorry, I can you go. Um, what was the request for the pro shop at Augusta? How many messages did you get? <laughs> Let's be honest here. Because I thought about messaging yeah, you, so- and I don't even really know you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I... In prior trips, I'd accepted some of the requests. And so I'd bought like hats and stuff for my buddies back home. Um, And then this trip, because I was here for four months, I had so much luggage. There was just no way I was going to take back any more than I had to. So I just had to tell people, I was like, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to be able to take anything back. But um, I did. You're like, I'm not going to take anything back for you. Weren't allowed in the shop but I will be able to sell you some items. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so my coach and caddy weren't allowed in the shop and um, it was just players and spouses, I think. So I went in the shop and like raided it for them. And so I'd go in and then they were standing outside and I'd like run in and I'd like look around what's there. And then I'd like come back out and tell them what's there. And then I'd say, yeah, yeah, get me this, 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 this. And then I'd go back in and then pile it up on the counter. And then I'd say, oh, do you want this, this, this? And so I think I've got a tab there and I need to pay it off. It's, it'd be 95% their, their stuff, but it went on my tab. So still, they still have to pay me back. But I, I'd say it was like three or four grand. It was ridiculous. Will, my caddy, bought one of those that. Scotty Cameron like master's putters, which were like 800 bucks. And I mean, you could spend so much money in there. Can you it's can you send me and all the stuff's awesome. When you get the tab, can you can I see that? Can you forward what the what does a tab yeah. from Augusta National look like? <laughs> like it probably is really old school. Yeah, it is. They actually they don't even send it by email. They just um they mail it to you. Oh so when are you gonna get it? Um, that's you, by the yeah. time you get it, you won't even so need I've, to pay. I've already it. got one. From, yeah, I got one from last time because it's really funny. They'll they'll invoice you things and it'll be like. Because you're an amateur, I'm an amateur, they have to invoice you for the crow's nest nights and it's like $8 for like a night in the crow's nest. So like crow's nest accommodation. Like I was going to say, surely they're like, when they send a tab, surely you think someone there would go, just leave him off. He's an amateur. He doesn't have any money. Yeah. I'll pick it up. Yeah. No, no. They, I think the rules of amateur status are like, you can't like give this to an amateur because it's like violating the rules. So they like have to put up like a nominal charge of like six or $8 or whatever it is. Did you ever, it's really funny. Lucas, did you ever catch yourself at any point within, first of all, did you leave Augusta the property at all during the masters? Like, did you basically enter and then just basically leave a week later? No, because, because of the crow's nest. Yeah. Normally you'd have six, five or six amateurs staying in the crow's nest, but because of the setup this year with COVID, they only had one night. So I was staying the week in Aiken in a house. Um, but it was really cool. It was really cool when you'd you'd obviously stay the night in Augusta at at the club, and everyone everyone would leave cabins. But I mean, you feel like you're the only one there. You're definitely the only one in the clubhouse, which is damn cool. Was that scary? What I mean, like, <laughs> uh, not really. I'm not really someone to get spooked out. But when you when you go up into the crow's nest and like you're looking across all the 
the photographs of people that have stayed there. And I mean, many of them have passed. I mean, there's, I'm sure that it feels like there's some ghosts up there for some people, but I mean, I just, I just loved it. I mean, the photos, I slept under a photograph of Ben Crenshaw, which was awesome. And I saw him, I actually drove past him one of the days. I didn't get to meet him, but um, I wanted to tell him about that. Mate, if there are any ghosts at Augusta, they're not spending their time in the crow's nest. I'll give you the hot tip. They're out on the golf course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you, were you, um, I was going to ask you, I have like two questions. So one is like, how intense in, in advance of like getting into Augusta before the tournament, how intense was your like anti-COVID process? You, you must've been just wearing a plastic bag. Yeah. Because if you get any hint yeah. of it, you're out. Like you can't, this is the dream. I know. And I, yeah, and I, I would have. imagine they didn't have like a, oh, if you get COVID, come back next year. Yeah, I heard Paul Casey <laughs> yeah, I say that he stopped sending his kids on play yeah. dates for like two weeks before. Yeah. He's like, no one's, no one's allowed to leave the house. I mean, the smart thing for me, I mean, I wouldn't call it smart, but like, I kind of wanted it like four weeks out. Like, not that I was going out trying oh, to get to it. Oh, to get antibodies. If you get it then, then you know you're going to be, yeah, so then you know you wouldn't get it Masters week because that was the greatest fear of mine. Like, the most nervous I was all week was sitting in the hour that it take, took them to process the sample, sitting and waiting for my negative results oh. to come back. Like that was more nerve wracking waiting to get that result back than it was, you know, getting prepared for the first tee shot. Yeah. So, the first tee. Um, yeah, that was, yeah. Like that was, that was, that was, you know, people could ask me what was the most nervous you were all week at Augusta. I'd tell them waiting for a negative COVID test to come back. <laughs> Did you have a chat? Did you? Uh, that would scare me so much because it's that's so oh. much out of your control. At least like a five footer, yeah. like it's your fault. But like getting mm -hmm. COVID is just like it's the epitome of a bad bounce. So I don't use that. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> terrible. <laughs> just cut me out. It's, it's I'm done. Put a fork in me. <laughs> Did you have a Did you have a chance throughout the week to catch up with some of the other amateurs and ex, kind of compare experiences? Such an emphasis on watching the Masters and seeing the amateurs because everyone's like, "Oh, I wish yeah. I was good at golf." Yeah, normally, normally the amateurs do spend more time with each other just because of the crow's nest. Like that's where we all hang out and sort of chat and that. But really, the only opportunity we had was at the amateur dinner, um, which was awesome. I mean, it was like the fastest paced dinner ever. Like it started at like <laughs> quarter past seven and went till 8.30 and it was like three courses and there was like speeches and it was like, it was so quick, but it was like action packed. So um, Trevor Immelman was the, the guest speaker. He obviously he competed as an amateur and won the tournament as well. So he spoke about his experiences. Um, we had a guy, um, John Carr, who was, one of the members he sort of emceed it and um he had a lot of great stories he'd played his dad had played it three times i think as an amateur um and so yeah it was it was a really awesome experience like mike davis from the usga was there so we were chatting to him and all the other members there was like 10 or 15 members there it was it was like a really cool cool experience then they had a statistic which was i i found really cool was that of the of the May, uh, Masters winners, a third of them competed in the tournament as an amateur, which is pretty crazy. So, like, you think about 
obviously it's helped by the fact that Tiger, you know, won five, it was one five, you know, Mickelson four and, you know, Nicholas six and whatever. But like overall of the Masters champions, a third of them competed as an amateur, which is like, you know, when you're standing in that room with five other guys, amateurs, you're like, geez, like one of these guys, you know, hopefully me, but there's a good chance one of these guys will win the Masters. That's pretty cool. He just spoke to, um, I don't know if you know, like Curtis Luck or anyone, like any other Aussie amateurs that mm. have spent the week there. I don't know if you mm. know Curtis uh, at all. Had he yeah, I know, I know Curtis really well. So had you spoke to him and he kind of given you a heads up of what to expect? Yeah, we, we actually played a practice round because he qualified for the US Open at Wingfoot. So we played a practice round there um, with Adam Scott, actually, and, um, and Rio Ishikawa. So that was really cool. But... Um, yeah, Curtis obviously had a lot of tips. Um, he he did quite well as well. He made the cut. He didn't get low am, um, but um, yeah, he just said he his main thing was just enjoy it, enjoy it, mate. Don't don't worry about how you play. Just enjoy the experience. So um, yeah, he didn't really have too much advice on how to play the golf course or anything like that. Um, he just said really just enjoy the week. Did you did you ever have a moment um, where you were like on the grounds or? in in the structures of augusta or or somewhere around it where you where you caught yourself feeling like comfortable or like or like at home were you ever like whoa wait a minute like i don't like this all of a sudden is feeling kind of normal like and and do you know what i'm talking about like like when you're in some amazing experience and then you're just like oh yeah this is like you know normal this is what this is lucas's life no big deal yeah Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sitting in the crow's nest, like, like literally the only one in the crow's nest laying down, getting ready to bed, get, go to bed. And like, you're sitting there and you're like, huh, there's not too many people that have been in this position. <laughs> I'm just sort of sitting on my bed, um, trying to get to sleep. Um, but yeah, there was, there was obviously some moments where really comfortable and, and the membership and, the tournament, they do a really good job at trying to make you feel comfortable. Um, but yeah, there's, you definitely have to pinch yourself sometimes. The, the fact that what I got to experience, there's so few people that have ever done that. I mean, it's pretty. And so you're playing, you play winged foot. You obviously, it's your first time playing in a major, maybe playing in a super televised tournament with, so the best golfers in the world. What did you learn at Wingfoot? And you were like, I'm going to do Augusta a little differently. You know what I mean? Like, like you must have had, it was yeah. like a dry run for Augusta. Like, what were you like, you know, don't wear the striped shirt. Yeah. Like, what did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> Only you would make out about fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> I, for me, Wingfoot, like you said, was a bit of a trial run. I mean, <laughs> trial run at the US Open, but it was a little bit to learn how to, how to deal with a major championship was important. So I definitely felt like I tried to over-prepare at wing foot. I kind of made the mistake that I could see everyone sort of doing, hitting too many shots around the green, getting worried about, you know, missing it here, missing it there. Um, and so by the time, I think I got there on Saturday evening, I walked nine with my caddy and played 18 Sunday um 18 tuesday <laughs> and then i was like okay i gotta play nine wednesday and so like i just burnt myself out prior to the week at wingfoot which was like i got I, I played decent on the front nine i think i round one i shot like even par on the front nine and then i had like 
10 over on the back. <laughs> so I just ran out of steam at round one and at wing foot. And so that was definitely something I took away and, and didn't do at Augusta. There, there was some part of winged foot that was just exhausting. And even though it's a relatively flat mm. golf course, there's some part of it that's just like, you're, you're going to yeah. be exhausted even just after. So I, I wear this whoop strap and, you know, it tells you like the mm. most strenuous day I've ever had in my life. I've been wearing it for a year. I've, I've hiked mountains. I've done all sorts of, I've stayed up for 24 hours. The hardest thing I ever did was play 18 at Wingfoot. No joke. It was 21.5. Yeah. It, and granted, I had a lot more wow. strokes than you did, but it was Labor Day, and it was just <laughs> no. I, I mean, believe that it was shocking, and I didn't even yeah. carry my own bag. Bo did. I don't believe that. <laughs> I, it's the mental energy. I think it's just like it's such a grind. I mean, every shot you're just thinking, okay, don't do this, don't do that. Don't, you know, you just you mentally just and the green complexes as well. Like you're having to think so much about where. I mean, it's so complex that golf course. Um, for like you said, a flat, easy kind of walk, it just strains the hell out of you. Maybe if you go play wing foot again, you should just instead of like doing any practice rounds or even going to the range, you should just bang your head against the nearest like wall and then just tee off and just see what happens. Just like forget <laughs> everything. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think I probably would have played better if I did that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> sixteen over or something for two rounds. Look, I'm a mental coach. You know, I don't yeah. charge, and I also take no responsibility for the results. But <laughs> Stuart, you got any more questions? Um, two more questions. Number one, what was the best thing that you bought in the pro shop that you still look at? And you're like, yeah, I'm glad I got that. And uh, number two, I mean, yeah, let me go grab we it. We haven't even spoke about. We haven't even really spoke about the kind of. Kind of like, what's, the, what's the COVID setup here? here? You, you got you got a putting green in the hotel room? What's going on? What have we got? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just sort of, well, I've got a bed that's actually up against a wall, but um, that gives me a little bit more ex extra space because they put two beds in the room that I'm in, which is strange. But hmm. Lake, you're, you're going to have a visitor. The bed up. <laughs> it's a case he wants to move around. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah in case i get sick of that bed i can just sleep on the other one all yeah. right so this is my favorite item from the pro shop so Ooh. this is uh oh. needlepoint golf bell amen corner so it's like a scene of amen corner so there's the 11th grade. 11 there's the 12th hole <laughs> and there's 13 there i think yeah so it's like needlepoint belt but like it's like a scene of Amen corner. It's pretty damn cool. Um, that was probably my favorite thing I bought. That is, I can I ask, can I ask Lucas? Um, that's, but, it's not a cheap belt, right? That's, oh, he's frozen. The question killed him. <laughs> he's like, <"Don't> <laughs> Lucas, you're frozen. No. Nah, he's literally can't compute. He just looked at his belt one more time. He's like, this belt his, is so cool. His accountant just emailed him and was like, stop with the belt, dude. It's amazing. Like, imagine how hard would it be to create a belt that, like, is one image the entire way around? I mean, I know a little bit about things. That's not easy. The thing is, can you actually wear it out in public, though? Or can you wear it to a golf course? 
Because I go, sometimes I wear my Cypress belt and people go, oh, Cypress point hot. And I'm like, I'm back. Sorry. I'm not sure what yeah. happened there. Wait, what happens <laughs> when you wear your Cypress belt, Stu? People are like, oh, Cypress point hot. Huh? And I'm like, yeah. And I don't actually play that. I'm like, <laughs> You're like, yeah. Have you been? Tell me all about yeah. it. <laughs> the belt your, looks amazing, belt, Lucas. Dude, I, asked belt, you, I asked you how belt, much it was yeah, and you so broke up. To answer the question, <laughs> to answer the question, I think it was a hundred and hundred and like that's the one thing. Okay. You get, uh, I don't say much. The internet wants me to tell you how expensive it is. It really I keep breaking Augusta Nash, Augusta National, yeah, like it's, it's awesome. no, this is not happening. They send you, you like snail mail tabs, but they also are keeping track of you digitally. I mean, the yeah. fact that it starts with a hundred is unbelievable. That's very cool. Very cool. And, and, very cool, and yeah. ends with a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Priceless. Um, that's right, so crazy. Go ahead, Stu. What else? Oh, just last question. That unless you get, I don't know if you get anything mm. else to add, Eric. Um, my question would definitely be like, what your biggest takeaway? Like I say, you've kind of got all this time now to sit back and reflect mm. on it all. What's been the biggest yeah. takeaway? What's been the biggest thing that you keep going back to? I think playing with some really good players. Um, I mean, I played with obviously Xander and and Patrick Cantlay. I mean, they're two of the best young guys in golf at the moment. I kind of saw that my game actually wasn't that far away from them. Like I could hit all the same shots they could hit. It's just that they're a little straighter. Like my short game is actually... I realize now it's pretty solid short game and putting pretty solid. I just got to dial in my ball striking a bit more. Um, and so that's, that's sort of where I'll be sort of focusing the rest of my attention for, for the near future, because I do, I do think I want to make sure I give golf everything I've got and make sure if I step away from the competitive side of the game, I want to know that I gave it everything and I just, you know, wasn't good enough and, and if i can know that then i'll i won't ever regret you know not trying to play pro golf and doing it that way so yeah the next year for me will be me sort of keep competing um and then if i feel like my game's in good shape i'm probably going to try the qualifying schools probably in europe and japan um and just try and get a card somewhere um in the in hopefully one of those two places um, and then yeah, turn pro. But if that doesn't work out, then I think eventually at some point, the golf course architecture side of things definitely will be uh, part of the rest of my life. It's just, you know, hopefully it's 20, 30 years away and I have a good career in golf playing, um, but it could be closer. We'll, we'll see. That must have been such a huge confidence boost because going into that, you would have no idea how you stack up against the best of the best. And now you're getting mm -hmm. to see the best of the best at the best of the best. So when they're really yeah. trying to be on top of their game, um, so yeah. comparing your game to theirs must have been a huge confidence boost yeah. for you. It's definitely, and it was a valuable experience for sure. That was probably the most, yeah, the biggest takeaway was just understanding how the best of the best play when you're playing on the same golf course as them. And, you know, my scores weren't great, but relative to how I know I can play, I know I played poorly. So I felt like if I played well, you know, two under par each day for an 800, 800 par total wouldn't have been out of the question. That would have been in the top sort of 15. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of getting my game a little sharper, particularly the long game, because I just didn't have a good week with the driver or irons. Yeah, did you see um, Dylan Fratelli 
actually was interesting to me, like for a guy who's not, you know, super big, focused a little bit on speed and top mm-hmm. 10, no problem. And went from like, I think it was like one sixtieth in driving distance to like 15th or something. Just, yeah. Is that, is yeah, that, is that at all taking part of your game or you, do you care at all? Are you like trying to get to three fifteen? I, I hit it pretty long, but I, I mean, length is a huge advantage in golf. And so I was probably in the top 30 or 40% length wise in that field. Um, so I certainly wasn't the longest guy out there, but I was long enough. Um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me was hitting it straighter. I mean, I hit two or three fairways in the first round. Um, I hit, I think it was eight in the second round. So I, I hit it a, a lot better in the second round, but my, my iron play was really poor. I think for the week I hit maybe like, I think it was like 54% of greens and 49% of fairways or something like that. It was, it was pretty poor. So what do you yeah, attribute that to? Um, I think it's just learning to, to play ball, ball striking wise, just learning to play under pressure. Um, cause under normal conditions, my ball striking is fine, but yeah, the major, major golf experience definitely found the faults in my swing and in my game. So yeah, I just need to hopefully get a bit more experience playing under pressure and, and contention at amateur tournaments and then work my way up and get back into some majors. That, hopefully. That's cool. the thing you have roughly about 270 shots for the week and almost you have to find that for every 270 of those shots has to be the best shot you're going to hit. And you have to be mm. mentally in that zone yeah. for every single one of those shots. There's no, there's not yeah. a lot of room for error, you know? No, no, you're right. What's your, so the last round you played was in the masters at Augusta. Where's the next round? And are you just going to like rip it apart? Are you just, should you just <laughs> go play like a, like a 6,000 yards, like eight, nine <laughs> hole, the 18 hole course and just be like, what, what, what's the plan? So yeah, I get out of I get out of quarantine on December one. Um, I've got New South Wales Golf Club in Sydney lined up. Yes. Have you played there day. before? So yeah, I've played it a couple of times. So it'd be good to go there. It's probably one of the most beautiful golf experiences um, you could ever imagine. Did you play it, Eric? I have. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And Stu, have you played it as well? I think I'm actually going there the, uh, in the new year for the first time. Ah, awesome. Yeah, it's 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 such an awesome, beautiful. You know, it's up. In, it's um, so that is right. Sort of back, back, getting back to golf, and yeah, I feel like it would be interesting how my game holds up because I mean, it's it's going to be over two since I've really hit a golf shot when I step out there. So I'm not sure I've got the highest expectations, but we'll see what happens. When you when they were like you have to do quarantine, could could you like maybe not you particularly, but like could one be like give me another room, I need a simulator, I need this and that. Could, couldn't could you or no or is it just like what what hotel are you in like and who pays for the hotel? Do you? Yeah, so I'm in. It's actually really beautiful. Have a look at that out my window. So I'm in Darling Harbour. Oh, is that the Novotel? Yeah. Sick. It is the Novotel. Yeah. Thanks, so dude. Good eyes. Nice. I usually, stayed, I usually yeah. stay in the hotel um, next door, the sofa tail. <laughs> yeah, awesome. well, it's just right there. <laughs> that <one>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, I got a really nice room, um, although the windows don't open and there's no balcony. So <laughs> for 14 days, I can't breathe. But and you're not allowed um, to go, you can go for a walk. So the, the, 
No, no, I can't leave the I can't leave the room. Like, so if you're a smoker, <laughs> you cannot smoke for 14 days. So there's like smokers going crazy. Um, but yeah, so I so it used to be that you didn't have to pay, and then they brought in paying for it. Like, yeah. But fortunately, I booked my original ticket to return home before the date that they introduced compulsory paying. So I don't have to pay for my stay, which is nice, but it's normally three oh, wow. grand for the two weeks. Jeez. So it's a lot of money. And thankfully I got out of that. But okay, um, wait, that's almost yeah, as much as you spent at Augusta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, exactly. do you have any idea how wow. many belts I could have for this? <laughs> wait, so do you, what do you do? Do you have like home. workout material? Do you have like resistance bands? I've got, yeah, no, I do. I've got like a little area. I did a big workout last night. So there's my bed sort of folded, flipped up onto the wall. I've got a little, you know, foam roller and um, yeah, resistant bands and a little area that I've been stretching and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I can I do a little bit of stuff, but I mean, basically I'm just locked in a room for 14 days. Look, I don't like feel bad for you, but I think I would be going crazy. Like I legit <laughs> yeah. think I would be going crazy. I mean, I've, I've done a couple of these podcasts now. I've probably, I'd say of the oh, 72 hours I've been here, I'd say like 10 of the hours I've been on the phone talking to people on podcasts or just talking to friends and stuff. So yeah, yeah I'm trying make my a, best to. You could put cameras in a room like that, put Eric in there for two weeks, not allow him to move and turn it into a movie. <laughs> and it would be hilarious <laughs> and sad and horrific and all happy and all of the above <laughs> that's crazy so so are you can you open the door or what happens if you open the door to the hallway so there's a yeah there's a door there i can open it they drop meals off food because i don't have a kitchen either like if i had a kitchen it'd be great i'd just cook all the time yeah um but there's a door that they drop off food i haven't heard it yet but breakfast should be here sometime soon they just knock on the door and then they leave because they don't want to like you know, risk kind of getting infected if I'm infected. Um, and, but if I leave the room, there's a hotel, there's a security guard at the elevator. <laughs> so, I mean, they don't basically let you, you basically, they, they advise you to not walk into the hallways. Um, so right. I really haven't. Um, Can you... but I had a COVID test yesterday. Go ahead, go ahead. And so I had to get out of the room and do that. Um, but like I stepped like a meter out of my room. Like it wasn't like I was going somewhere. Can you order items like from a store? Yes. Yes. So I ordered groceries and got some fruit and like chocolate and stuff. <laughs> um, and then, but I, I was considering, I was trying to find a PlayStation five, but they are out of stock everywhere. Good luck. Yeah. So I couldn't find one of them. So that was going to be my, like, that was the plan the whole time. Get a PS five and just like game for two weeks. But unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So and you haven't set up yeah, the putting. I, I, you haven't started putting in the room yet. No, that's going to happen. Like on day chipping. eleven. I was chipping. No, no day day zero. I was chipping. Okay, um, good. Yeah, so day zero I was chipping, but I don't know. I haven't putting's like I'm a good putter, and I just like don't practice putting. So yeah, <laughs> if I'll never say that. that was <laughs> if that was me chipping in the room, then you would have windows that opened. It would always smash. Well, <laughs> That was that was the that was why I stopped chipping. Actually, I was chipping on day zero, and then I stopped because I was scared I was going to put one through the window. So, Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, you just but the thing is, you could put them through the window, and they wouldn't know for like two weeks, and you could just you'd be like, no, it was like that when I got here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some guy must have been hitting balls in the harbor. Yeah, some crazy guy. I don't know. He clearly didn't play the Masters like me. Anyway, have a good trip, guys. <laughs>
That actually reminds me of my, my story in St. Andrews. So I studied for six months at the University of St. Andrews um, and my room opened up at a window, small window that faced the golf course. But the golf course was 150 yards through the window. And my, the day I arrived there, I looked out the window. It was a stunning view across like the town. Um, it was beautiful, West Sands and everything. And I looked at it, I was like, I could hit a golf shot out of that window. And Are you then, sure so you want to waited. complete this story? Yeah, no, you could fine. have a lawsuit in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> I waited. I waited till my last night there in case anything went wrong because I was leaving at 7 a.m. the next morning and I, I had a few friends around and I hit a shot through the window out onto the 18th green. So I had friends that were like calling FaceTime from the green and, and they're like, yeah, it's landed, it's landed. So we went down there and I two putted it for three in the middle of the night. So <laughs> that was. Um, that was, I don't think I'd be doing that. But if it, if it opened, I probably would have been blasting them into Darling Harbour. Um, would, would have had to get some of those biodegradable golf balls there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was probably the most fun I had in St. Andrews when I was there. That's awesome, man. Well, I mean, thank you so much, Lucas, for your time. I, I, uh, we could do another podcast tomorrow too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got like unlimited that. time, Eric. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> don't even bother thanking me for it <laughs> now that's cool man what a, what a cool experience and and uh you know i'm i'm excited to catch up with you again soon hopefully you guys can play some golf yeah. together soon yeah finally yeah. Yeah.